This is the Horse Radio Network. This is Lesson 42 of Equine Clicker 101 Podcast on the Horse Radio Network. Moving off of pressure. Equine Clicker 101 is a podcast that takes you to the class to learn and practice clicker training for your horse. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. They are Via Nova Training and Cavalier Feed. This is Shauna Karish, and in today's episode, we're going to discuss moving off of pressure. Now, this is, is something that people always associate with pressure release. Mm, we're actually going to mix that up a little bit because what we want to do is teach it more as a tactile cue, but based and motivated by positive reinforcement. So we're going to discuss how to do that and what the difference is. A lot of times people ask me, where do I get clickers? Where do I get one of those targets? Where can I find a side bucket? Where can I find a book? What can I do? And you know, what you can do is go to vianovatraining.com from there or shaunacarish.com will also take you there. But what you'll find is I have, we have our merge web a website and you'll find pages there and you can find the product page over with Shauna Karish and you can find side buckets, targets, and all of that great stuff if you want to get some of that stuff. But you can also find out more about what we do at Via Nova Training and what we're up to. So go snoop around and find out all sorts of things. And speaking of Via Nova, let's learn a little bit more about what it is. That's where I live and that's where I'm based out of. So let's learn a little bit more about it and what we're what we stand for. At Fianova, our mission is to bring awareness of positive reinforcement training to the mainstream equestrian world from the top competitors to the casual enthusiast. It helps to create happy horses and ultimately improves the athletic performance. So if you are performing with your horse, it can help you to have a happy athlete or it can have you a happy trail horse, whichever you want. It creates a unique bond with your horse and it can be used to help save some behavioral issues on the ground or even under saddle. As I said, I'm based out of there and I have the expertise and experience that can help bring you to the next stage of the game. Also, Via Nova offers coaching and education and positive reinforcement that enhances any training program. And we're based in lovely Santa Fe, New Mexico. So it's a great place to come for workshops or positive reinforcement, but also enjoy the Southwest scenery shopping and dining. And boy, do we have good dining. Visit Vianovatraining.com and you can sign up for our newsletter and you can stay abreast of what's going on out here via Nova. All righty, you guys, this is actually a really big subject with the positive reinforcement and people kind of not quite understanding how all this works. There's a real tendency for people to think all pressure is bad and all pressure is not bad. All pre there's pressure and release is the classic negative reinforcement. So there, what are they working for? They're working for pressure to go away. So the pressure has to have an aversive quality or else it going away would not increase the frequency of behavior. If your horse liked your leg to be on, 
they wouldn't go forward because they're like, no, I love that. I'm going to sit here and feel your leg. But they do want your leg pressure to go away. So they go forward because they learned that's how I get that pressure to go away. We want them to stop or slow down. We apply pressure via, you know, a halter and lead rope or, you know, a bit and bridle. And so what they're working for is that pressure to go away. That's classic negative reinforcement in the, you know, in the clinical true definition, not not the social definition where people think negative reinforcement means you beat your horse. That has nothing to do with it. That's not accurate. It really means the subtraction of something increases a frequency of behavior. Yet with positive reinforcement, the addition of something increases a frequency of behavior. So positive and negative are like positive and negative numbers or addition and subtraction. They are not, they are not good and bad. So, so now we kind of had a little reminder of that piece People oftentimes think that pressure is is a bad thing, and that. But what I think is really important, there is pressure. You know, there's as as we sit on a horse, there is pressure. They're going to feel pressure. So that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It, it just means there is tactile pressure. So as we as this is one of the things I was challenged with when Minty was a little teeny tiny guy. He, I started working with him when he was a year old. He's 27 now. And he was the age of Henley who I have now. So it's kind of fun to look at that. But it was when it was time to do written work. Well, I thought, well, I don't want some crazy cues that, that I can't remember what kind of horse am I riding now? What do I do? I wanted people to be able to ride him like normal and have him be quite responsive and joyous about it. I didn't want it to be something that he felt, you know, I didn't want it to be pressure and release. He was working for something to go away. I wanted him to really, truly have good feelings about it. So, but, but I also didn't want to confuse me or confuse anybody else. I wanted him to fit into mainstream things. I didn't want to be like, I want him to go forward. So I sit with my legs up in the air. I just didn't want weird stuff. I just wanted it normal. So my challenge was, well, how do I create the behavior and build a good, strong reinforcement history with it. So instead of getting on and squeezing with my leg until he went forward and then taking the pressure away, we could use targets, you know, where we said, okay, I touch with my leg, which is a pressure cue because it's tactile. So it's not increasing pressure. I think this is the point that is really key. There was not escalating pressure. That was not the point. That was not part of his learning. So the pressure didn't keep going so he had to do something to get it to go away. It was like, here's my leg. My leg is off and here's a target. So he could learn, oh, okay, when I feel that, the target is going to be presented. And then when I touch the target, I'm going to get reinforced. So if I want him to stop and slow down, we can use targets for that too. So a lot of times, you know, I've talked about the going forward. Oh, what, what lesson was that? Teaching your horse to go forward and teaching your horse to come back to you and all of it based in, positive reinforcement. So if I have the target set and I want a horse to move forward, I could go leg on and then I say target. And as he starts to walk to the target, I click the moving. So he gets the idea when I feel that, that, that tactile pressure that comes and goes, it means to move forward and I can earn myself a reward. Now, on the other hand, if I want to teach him to stop or slow down, I can have a, another cone with a target or the same cone with a target. But as we're going towards it, as we get closer and he's about to hone in on it, I can ask him, I can use a little bit of pressure 
via the halter or bridle. And as he feels that, he's going to stop or slow down because he's going to the target and he's honing in on it. I click and reinforce that slight downward transition. So he gets the idea, oh, I feel this. I get clicked and reinforced when I stop or slow down. So the point is, none of this is pressure and release. It is not So pressure is now just simply a cue. It doesn't have an association of the avoidance of an aversive. It has the association of earning or seeking the positive reinforcement. So we have talked before about when we activate the seeking system, we tend to use, this is what neurobiologists have found out, it tends to light up a different part of the brain than when we use negative reinforcement. Negative reinforcement tends to light up a different part of the brain. So the part of the brain that gets lit up with negative reinforcement is the part that is, you know, is fight or flight. That's what it's responsible for. So they go, oh, what do I do with that? What do I do with that? The part that tends to be lit up when we do positive reinforcement is the part that has been referred to as the seeking system, them trying to get things they want. Different chemicals are produced in those different areas of the brain. So the fight or flight area naturally has things like cortisol. Cortisol, because cortisol is, it's a, they're stressy, they're worried. What do I do with it? That part of the brain has a different function than the seeking system, which tends to be endorphins and dopamines. So clearly working from a place where they want to do it and they like to do it creates a better experience for them that they will remember the rest of their lives. Now, and then if we use a part that, that does tend to activate, you know, adrenaline and cortisol, they can be a little bit more worried about it or more cautious about it. And that experience will carry over to their training as they move forward. So as I start to teach, like with Minty to do things, he would get pretty soon, he, like he, I, I made it very clear by utilizing positive reinforcement that this tactile cue is coming and going. It's not an escalation. It is simply a cue based in a positive reinforcement history. So he doesn't feel this as an aversive or worrisome because it's just, it's just a tactile thing that comes and goes. So I hope that makes sense to people because people all the time, I hear them saying about um, that, that how do you ever ride with positive reinforcement when there is pressure? It's not, it's not the tactile pressure that is, what what builds up negative reinforcement it is the escalating pressure it is the the using more pressure it is the pressure hard enough that they want it to go away if it's simply a tactile cue a tactile stimulus it doesn't it it's not it's not the same thing so i think that understanding it's it's the motivation what what motivated the that behavior So what was behind it? How did they learn it? What was it based in? That is the real difference that it makes when we're talking about the emotional place that we want them to be. And then as we build, like with Minty and building each of his behaviors with positive reinforcement, well, pretty soon he, I've built up such a strong reinforcement history behind each of these behaviors because I would reinforce it quite a bit as we went along because we're, they were going to get it bigger and bigger. You know, I want more canter. I want more of this. I want it bigger. So it was a lot of refinement. So it meant there's a lot of reinforcement in the process of teaching that behavior and, and shifting that criteria to be a little bit better and a little bit more and a little bit better and a little bit more. It was a joyous process for him. But it, in that meantime, what I've done, classic conditioning 
has built that reinforcement history to have it be so strong that he's like, I love canter departs. Why wouldn't I do a canter depart? You know, he doesn't think you owe me food for a canter depart. Uh, he just thinks, I love them. Why wouldn't I do them? So as we build the reinforcement history, then move on to the next piece and the next piece, I still sometimes reinforce a canter depart or a, you know, a flying change or whatever it might be. But, but we've kind of faded the need to feed it all the time. And then I would have other people that have never fed my horses who have not going to feed my horses, ride them. And they would be quite nice and quite soft and quite responsive because they just, the reinforcement history has become so strong with the behavior that they just love doing it. You know, they don't feel apprehensive about it. They don't feel worrisome about it. They just like, I love Canada depart. I love you know, trot transitions. I love this. I love that. And that's what I really want to build up is that super strong emotional state that's behind it. And that is something that comes through the the use of positive reinforcement. It really can change things. So as we talk about pressure and release, there is, there's lots of ways um, to create those same behaviors that were taught with pressure and release, but instead to create them with positive reinforcement. But this goes back to the last lesson we had. And in lesson 41, we talked about how do we create behavior and creating shaping plans and being a little bit outside of the box because we need a way to what we used to do in a traditional sense. Well, how do I create this in another way? We got to use our creativity. We create shaping plans and, and trying new things. And targets are a really big part of it. So I think that, understanding the difference there is really, really important. The end result is, is really tricky because, you know, you want to take pictures or video of people riding with positive reinforcement. Well, it doesn't look very different in the end outside of the horse looks very relaxed and happy and the, the, to watch it, you can see the relationship that is produced, but, but the riding should look like the same riding. It should just be a really happy and, and, well-trained horse that comes out of it, you know, and the other process I think that is really important for people to understand is with the marine mammals, the marine mammals got all their food each and every day, regardless of what they did or didn't do. So we didn't really have anything to hold over their head. And, and they got all their social interactions each and every day, regardless of what they did or didn't do. And they knew this. So what was our challenge as trainers? is to be sure that they loved the training, that they loved the game. And I've talked about this before. It's the game that is so important. If, it, if you make it all about the food, it'll be all about the food. We don't want to do that because that's not, there's no joy in it. There's a study that was done in the 60s, and I know I've talked about this, and they gave animals free food, and then they taught the same animals to hit a lever for food. And they did it with different, different species. And what do you think that those, when they, after they learned both ways, they knew to eat the food, they knew to hit the lever for food, they gave them both options back. And what do you think they tended to do? They tended to go to the lever for food. And so there's something in the game that is really has an intrinsic value of reinforcer. So if we do positive reinforcement correctly, it is not all about the food. It is actually all about the game. And so that's where I say you want to re, you want to raise a criteria, but slow enough that they have lots of success and can earn their reinforcer, but enough that the game is always afoot and there's a new little challenge. If I 
I love crossword puzzles. And if you gave me the same exact crossword puzzle every single day, it wouldn't be fun for me. The joy would be gone. But if it's, if it's sometimes harder, sometimes easier, I still love to do them. Nobody pays me. Nobody, I just love to do them. And I can do really difficult ones. I can do easy ones and I like them, but it is the game is afoot. So I think that this is an important thing to keep in mind. And this was really important with the marine mammals. It was the game that was so important. And pretty soon we have them doing things that are very, very, very challenging to do. And so teaching a sea lion a backflip, that's a, that could take a year, you know, for them to physically be able to do it and for us to slowly get the, the message across and them to think this is fun all the while. Because you know what? If the training wasn't fun, they wouldn't show up. They wouldn't be there because they didn't have to. They would just, they get all their food regardless. It doesn't matter. And all their social time regardless. So it was our, our challenge was to make sure it was fun. But I look at the same way with horses. So I want to be sure that they think it's fun and, and they think it's fun all the way through. And I do too. And then the next thing you know, we're doing challenging things. We're jumping big jumps. We're doing, you know, a lot of dressage moves. It can be, take a long time for them biomechanically to get to, but it can be really fun all the way through. But the key is using the positive reinforcement in a systematic way and building up each of those, those levels. So, so a lot of times people think, well, you need escalating pressure to get that. That's actually not the case. When we use positive reinforcement, they tend to raise their own criteria. So with traditional training, if we want more of something, you tend to actually do have to raise the pressure because that that is the impetus for the behavior. This is what's creating the behavior. But with positive reinforcement, they tend to raise their own criteria because there's truly something in it for them. Because think about it. With traditional training, what's in it for your horse to do a flying lead change? There's not a lot. But once we put something in it that they value, pretty soon they're invested in the training and the outcome of the training. So they, because they're like, yeah, yeah, I like this. There's something in it for me. So I think it's really important that we recognize that as we shift to using positive reinforcement, there's ways to get to very high criteria and challenging behaviors. It's just utilizing a, a different motivator and a different yeah, a different impetus for behavior, creating the behavior. So I think it's a really important distinction and people that get caught up with thinking that, that moving off of pressure is all based in, in escalating pressure and, and traditional training. It's not because it's not what we're really not doing is moving. We're not really working, talking about moving off of pressure. What we're talking about is using pressure as a cue. So it is a difference. It's just a tactile cue, which has an element of pressure involved in it, but not as an escalating pressure. And it's not an avoidance of the pressure. So I hope that seems pretty clear. We're going to, um, I'm going to work on a uh, behavior with Pete. Pete is a horse who is a, uh, a school horse and he has been through a lot in his life and he was, when he came to the owner right before, now he's a little more school horsey, but he came to his owner. They couldn't get him to move forward for anything. You could use sticks. You could use spurs. And he said, nope, not moving. You bring it on. I'm not moving off of pressure for anything. 
So what? So he was very dull to pressure, and pressure, in fact, makes him rather contrary. So you couldn't do that. So they taught him to go forward utilizing positive reinforcement. And so it worked. Of course it worked, you know, but you had to, they, he made them go back to the drawing board and try something new because it just wasn't happening. So what I'm kind of decided to work on with him, he's, he's, he's a horse to just, he can be kind of reluctant to some of those pieces. So what I'm trying to do is just from the ground, teach him a touch on the side means to move your hind end over. So I'm doing it without, uh, without pressure. Okay. So that's what we're going to work on in our next little piece. So if you have a horse that you want to work on this with, I think it's a great thing to do is to bring your horse over and see how he is. So what I want you to do, we're going to go to the lab and we're going to put this to use. So I want you to grab your target. I want you to grab your side bucket full of some good food for your horse. And of course, I want you to grab your horse and take him to a place. If, if for this behavior in, in the early stages, just to check and see where it is, you can do it in a stall. You can do it in his field. You can do it in the arena. You can do wherever you want to. So go get yourself organized. Get yourself together. Grab your target for sure, because we're going to use the target most likely in this. If your horse knows a hand target, you might use that as well. But I think I find that. So grab your target, grab your, grab all your stuff, get all your pieces together, and I'll meet you in a few minutes. Welcome to the lab. Okay, also known as the barn. So what we want to do is, um, I have Pete here, and I know that if I touch Pete's side, Pete's not going to do anything except maybe swish his tail if I poke on his side or push on his side. So what I'm going to do, um, I'm going to just place my hand kind of where I want the leg to be, but back just a little bit. So it's a little bit more exaggerated because that's a lot of times people will move their leg back. And I'm just going to touch his side but I'm going to use a target to, to move his front end. So, in, and not his front end, but hopefully to move his head and see if I can't get him to move his back end over, to kind of pivot on his front end and just move his, his back end over. So that is my goal. If I were writing a shaping plan, I would be looking for the slightest little movement of those back feet, or maybe just starting with following the target a little bit with his head. So what we're going to do is we're going to go see where he is with this. And, and again, he can be rather surly about pressure. You know, it's not, it's not his happy place. So I'm not going to do it as I want to teach it as a tactile cue. I'm really working on something called systematic desensitization and counter conditioning. And it's a little less desensitization because I still want it to be a cue, but I need to counter condition what this means. So if it makes him a little bit grumpy first, I, I, I'm counter conditioning that part because I don't want him to get grumpy. So my goal is to do it as soft as possible. He can feel it as soft as possible and then immediately put the target in. So he can kind of go, what is that? And then here comes the target and he can learn this as a cue as opposed to feeling like it is high pressure. Now, when I'm working with a horse that I think is super duper sensitive, I mean, a, a leg can be super duper light, but I want I want it to be okay with it. I don't want it to create a big reaction. So I want to be able to just press with my hand lightly, not poking, 
just press with my hand. But for now, I'm going to do it super duper light. So later, it may be more like if you put your leg there, what it would feel like. Okay, so here we go. I am going in with my little Pete. And I am going to start like I typically do. I'm going to just stand up and ask him to stand with his head to himself. I click and reinforce him a couple times. This helps me establish that we're starting our session. And it also, I kind of get a chance to see where he is with me, that he's working with me. He also has a stationary target in his stall. So I'm going to say, hey, Pete. So he did, he did great with keeping his head to himself. So I reinforced him for that. So I kind of also give him the idea we're starting a positive reinforcement training session. So I want him in that mindset and that, which can take off a lot of his defensiveness. And then I'm also going to do a couple other things. I'm going to start with asking him to touch his target. He has a stationary target in here. Hey, Pete, key target. Good. So I, I click that and he comes back to me and I'm going to reinforce him for that. Now, the reason I like doing that is it tells me a little bit about is he in and he can be in kind of a place where sometimes his he just kind of feels like I'm not in the mood for this. And I say, that's okay. And we don't necessarily have to do things if he doesn't want to. But he went right to it. He was pretty you know, straightforward with it. So I reinforced him and it tells me we're also in a good headset. We're in a good place to be working with this today. If he showed me that he was a little, you know, he was in that sticky place, I wouldn't take this on today. It wouldn't be for a lot of horses. It wouldn't matter. But for him with his history, I would be like, no, okay, that this isn't the best day for this. So let's wait till you're in a better place. But luckily he was in a good place because I had Nico ready. I could have gone over there if I needed to. So he is good for this. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to have him touch the target. I now have my handheld target. I'm just going to have him touch the target. I'm going to click and reinforce. I'm going to hold it a little bit lower. And then I'm going to click and reinforce that one. Then I'm going to hold it a little bit ahead. So he has to walk a step forward. So I make sure he's in a moving mood. <laughs> and he did. So I'm going to click and reinforce that. So that's really good. And now what I'm going to do is I am standing on his left side. So I am going to just touch his side enough that he recognizes it and then present the target where it is kind of off to my side. So if he's going to touch the target, I'm kind of in the way. He's probably going to think about moving his back end out of the way because in order to reach it, he needs to straighten out a little bit. I hope that makes sense. So I have it where it's bending his front end a little bit. And in order to touch it, he needs to come forward a little bit and perfect. So he moved forward just a touch more than I would really want. So what I paid attention to is when I saw his outside back foot move over, because that was going to be his natural thing is to get, I got to get this foot out of the way so that my hind end can move over. So it was too much, a little bit too much forward momentum. But as I always said, it's one piece at a time. I just said, I'm going to click on that back foot when it moves. So I'm not going to worry about the fact that I want less forward momentum. I just said, for now, I'm going to pay attention to that back foot. I'm going to pay attention to that back foot. Go pay attention to that back foot. So that was great. So I gave him a few handfuls for that. So he's still chewing. He gets some hay pellets in with his cavalor, so it takes him a little bit of chewing. That's great. Okay, 
So now we're going to do it again. Now in today's, today with this lesson, I'm not worried about him quite responding to just my hand yet. I just want to kind of isolate and get just that the back feet can move over. So hand target back feet, hand target back feet, handheld target. (laughs) Wait, no, hand touching, which is the tactile cue, which would be, some people may consider it a pressure cue, not escalating, it's tactile pressure. And so I give him the tactile pressure, pressure cue, I move the target closer to me and forward a little bit and perfect. And at first there, what he did, he didn't, he kind of just reached with his head without moving his back feet. So I moved the target a little further kind of around. So, and I'm in the, in the way a little bit. So I'm kind of moving it around me. I'm kind of serving as a fulcrum, you know, I'm in the middle. So for him to maneuver around me, I kind of did this. So it's a little less forward momentum and him thinking more about, moving that hind end to get around this fulcrum point of me. I hope that makes sense. So that was pretty good. So I'm going to to shift it up a little bit and I'm going to ask him to go back to his stationary target just to kind of mix it up. Good boy. Can you go to your target? Good boy, Pete. So I clicked and I fed him for that. And that was good. And I kind of, the reason I did that is Knowing his history with some of this pressure cues, the pressure meaning escalating pressure cues, I know it can have some uh, some anxiety in him. It, it, it might. I don't see it here. He looks fine. But I know in his history, it can have a little bit of, eh, I don't really like this. So I want to mix it up with some of his favorite and easiest behaviors. Okay, Petey, can I have a leg? So I just pointed and asked him to lift his leg. That's great. And I clicked and reinforced him there. And again, these are all tried and true behaviors. So now I'm going to go over to, no, let's do, yeah, I'm going to go over to the right side. Now I'm not sure how he is with the right side. And and so I'm going to go over into that side and see how we do. If I feel like, well, let's just see. Okay, Pete. So I touch with my hand and I move the target. Okay. And he's, he's kind of doing a bit more walking on this side and that's, Hey, can you come this way? Okay. I got a little, the back end kind of happened a little bit later. So I feel like maybe that wasn't as isolated feeling as the other side. So he may not know which piece was really, the most important piece yet on this side, but that's okay. And you know what I feel like? I feel like this side is going to be trickier. Sometimes if I feel like it's not that hard on one side or the other, I'll just kind of think, let's just work them both out. But you know what? I think I'm going to try to bring more clarity on the easier side first to help minimize his frustration and and help him to sort out what this means. That's just something I feel like is going to be a better thing to do. So I'm going to go back over to the left side. Hey, Pete. Okay. So I'm going to go again. So I'm going to put my hand and then 
I moved it. Perfect. And that one was absolutely perfect. So I then had the target going kind of where he would move around me and he just did it. He just stepped right over both his feet. So the outside foot and then the next one followed. I'm feeding it and leaving it there. The best thing I can do for him is make a big deal out of that one thing. And, and we're going to leave it there for today. So that was great. I felt like he he kind of was feeling like he really was starting to put together that it was at least the back feet moving. Now the target may still be a little bit more, uh, stronger of a cue. I gave him his jackpot by the way. So he is eating his, his bowl of food now, but he, I feel like he still maybe is paying more attention to the target than the hand, but that's okay. I would rather the hand be a little bit more subtle at this point because of, his history particularly, and there's just no reason he'll get it. And as I move forward with this, what I'll start to do is I will start to put the hand and give him a moment to think through it and then the target because I'm going hand, then target, then keep going. I'm really wanting to minimize his time where he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. So I'm making it very clear. But as I feel like if we go on, we'll have a couple more sessions like this. And as we go on like this, then the next thing I'll do is start to give him a moment and see how he, how he responds. Anyway, so that was really good for Pete. And what I liked more than any progress was, was that he stayed really soft through this whole, this whole thing. So, okay. So you go ahead and get it wrapped up with your horse, find a good stopping place. And it may be a similar place. It may be that you're still toiling with it a little bit. Remember, it doesn't have to be perfect right yet. If you just keep drawing attention to the back leg, moving a little bit and, and you'll get there and you'll get further. So when you get to a good place, wrap it up and let's go meet and we'll go talk about some homework. Okay, we all know homework is really important, but one of the things I wanted, so we're going to talk about that in a minute. We got some things that, you know, some steps we can take, and I think it's a great, a, you know, homework's good, and at least with it, it's your horse, it's barn work. <laughs> anyway, so one of the things that we need when we use positive reinforcement to build those good emotional associations and to build better new and improved reinforcement history with things they might not be so happy about, like with Pete, we use positive reinforcement and positive reinforcement. One of the strongest ones you can use is primary reinforcers, things they need to survive and things that they really like. They, they're hardwired to look for and food is a great one. And so it's a, a great way to start to really change their emotional association and activate that seeking system. So one of the ones I like to use, because I always want to use something that I feel like is adding to their well-being. I can even use part of their food from the day. I don't want to feel like I'm giving them 8,000 cookies full of sugar. I want it to be, I use their food. I use hay pellets and and feed as part of what we, you know, I mix it in. So anyway, so Cavalor is a great feed for that. It's a feed that really takes care of their, you know, their well-being. And Cavalor also makes something called Cavalor Crunchies, which are great cookies, but they're, it's like having a broccoli cookie. <laughs> anyway, so let's learn a little bit about what makes Cavalor so special. As we progress through the clicker training exercises, we talk about feeding the horse each time you use the clicker. Sometimes, most of the time, I use feed, but sometimes I use treats. And I love the Cavalier feed and the Cavalier treats because they use the highest quality ingredients. 
I can feed a lot of it. And I know it's healthy and a safe alternative to the highly processed feeds. So I think it's important that we can feel really comfortable about feeding a lot of the feed without thinking or loading them down with sugar. And that's what you get with Cavalor. With the Cavalor feeds, you can also actually see the ingredients. So it looks like a cereal you and I would eat. And in fact, I've tasted it and it's pretty good. <laughs> and the best part is Cavalor's team is easy to work with. You can reach out to them through their website or Facebook page and a real life person will call you back to personally talk through your horse's nutritional needs. Learn more about the products at www.cavalor.us or reach out to them through their Facebook page, Cavalor North America. You'll be glad you did. Okay, so time for our homework. I kind of started this a little bit with you guys. Um, with this particular behavior, what we want to do is I was just at the point where I would use my hand, then use the target, and he was getting it worked out on one side. So the plan I have for Pete is go back and see how he is. A little late in learning tends to help. A lot of times when we reinforce, we have a couple good approximations and we reinforce it really well, we come back and it's like they've crammed for, the, for a, a test. You know, they tell you to study and then sleep on it. It's the same thing. The, the neural pathways get formed and a lot of times they're better. So a lot coming back, I bet you he will be better with this um, when I come back in. So what I will do is see where he is with this. Be sure we can get this kind of going and he's, he's clearly moving his back feet. And then what I'll start to do, as I kind of already mentioned, I'll use my hand. And then just a little delay before putting the target there. And remember, it's a touch and off. It's not a pressure. It's not keep going. It's not poking till you move over. It's letting the target really do the work and creating the movement, not my hand. My hand is just there to be a cue that predicts here comes the target, which means move your back feet and get fed. So get reinforced. So that is the basic steps we're going to do. When he's good on this side, I'm going to go to the other side. So there until I can just be nice and light and I do that and he just steps his hind foot. I can fade the target after a bit and then, then we can. Um, and so like if I put my hand on, say, can you step over? And before I even move the target into place, he steps his little back feet over. I know I'm ready to, to fade the target. But as I said with him, I'm choosing to work on the one side first. And then so he gets the concept and he knows what these elements mean. And then I will go to start working on the other side. Sometimes if I feel like they're pretty neutral, I'll do both sides. But because he has such a hard history with, the, you know, pr increased pressure, I just want to be sure the tactile is very soft. So then I'll go to the other side. But we can do this with all sorts of things. You know, we can do it with the shoulder and the front end and moving over. We can do it with, you know, we can do it with under saddle stuff. And, or, you know, there's places and places and places, lots of places to go with this. So let's say you have a horse who has, so this is for this particular exercise. But let's say you have a horse that you're trying to cross over to positive reinforcement. We do have an episode for that too, where we're taking the horse and under saddle. But you can utilize, if even though like right now, maybe he learned to go forward by increased pressure. What you can do is instead use those targets, put those targets in cones. And so the target is in the, you know, I, a lot of times I'll set um, traffic cones with targets all around. So in a big giant circle and I can go or 
or, or down the line where I can send them to the target. Well, pretty soon I can either get on myself or put a person on and then say, go to the target. Was they get this idea? Then I can have the person touch with their legs, take it off, and I can point to the target. Or even from the back, I can touch with my legs and say target, and they go to the target. So what I'm doing is now, as they respond, I'm giving, as I touch with them and take it off, they are now following the cue to go to the target. The target is creating the behavior of moving forward or stopping and slowing down, whichever you know one I decide to click on. But I can actually build a new and improved reinforcement history with this cue. So the cue doesn't, it, and it takes a little bit of time. It takes some classic conditioning to really, or counter conditioning really, to change the emotions and the feelings that are behind it. But stick with it. Even though it seems like they're getting better, I overdo it. I just want to go little touch and target, little touch, target. And the targets can get further away and you can move off to the next target. But I want them to think, oh, I love doing this and I want to do this behavior. So if your horse has a history like Pete does with not great things behind it, you can rebuild it like Pete got to learning how to rebuild it and, and where it is going to, instead of looking at it as this is something I don't like, this represents going to something I do like and getting something, there's something in it for me. So really pay attention to all those things we talk about in the, the body language and what are they telling us? You know, do they seem soft? Is their tail swishy? Do their ears go back? Do their eyes get hard? Does their, you know, nose and mouth get hard or chin get hard or does their head raise? All those things are telling us that there's still tension there. So if you're going to shift to doing this with under saddle, I really want you to look for the softening and the more relaxation and the softening and more relaxation and don't drill it. Okay. That's and now I won't drill it because <laughs> I could go on and on. I think this is a great topic and one that could be easily confused and we can really change how ridden work doesn't have to represent everything hard. R ridden work can be a great and dynamic part of our relationship, but sometimes we have to go back and kind of mend some some wounds that maybe they have or, or fix some little places that might be have a little tension in it. So pay attention to all those little pieces. Anyway, hope that helps you out. Um, that's a bigger picture topic, um, bigger picture homework than just the exercise we did today, but I think it's all quite valuable. Okay. Well, you can listen to this on most of your favorite podcast players. You can also listen on the Horse Radio Network app, which you can find for your uh, your Apple device or your Android device. Just search Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free, and of course, it's easy to use. It makes things very simple, actually. Be sure to visit all of the great shows that are on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. There are fun shows. There are serious shows. There's all different subject matters and disciplines and health issues. So go search and find all sorts of things that you'll like. I think you can get... You could have a whole list of things to be listening to. Anyway, if you'd like to learn more about me or Vianova Training, you can go to Vianova Training. You can search shawnacarish.com and it'll take you to Vianova Training. But you can find more about me there. You can find more about what we're up to with Vianova Training. Can I say it another time? So go to vianovatraining.com and you can learn more about us. You can also listen to these episodes there if you go on the podcast on my part there. Anyway, 
So there you go. I hope this helped you out. It was fun tonight and fun listening with you guys. And and hopefully you had a great time with your horses. And I will talk to you next time. (laughs) 